Hi, everyone. You're listening to Recruitment from A to Z, the podcast that covers all things talent acquisition and recruitment advertising. I'm Andrea, and with me is Zach, hence the A to Z. I oversee the client services team nationally, and Zach oversees our marketing and sales efforts. Bayard specializes in recruitment advertising and employer branding, and we're excited to talk to you about lots of fun topics, changes, and more in our industry. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Recruitment from A to Z. Today, we'll be joined by Camille Bilios and Jack Foltz. Camille is a senior programmatic trader at Bayard, and Jack is the managing director of programmatic media. Thanks for joining, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Jack, Camille, do you guys want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So as Zach introduced me, my name is Jack. I'm Bayard's managing director of programmatic media which means I head up our app feeder team, which is what we call our programmatic product or programmatic service. I've been at Bayard for six and a half years now, based out of the New York office. Yeah, University of Maryland graduate, go Terps. And uh, really excited to, to be here on the podcast with you guys today to talk a little bit about programmatic. Okay, what the hell is a Terp? It's turtle. Uh, short for terrapin. The diamondback terrapin is the turtle that's native to Maryland and is the official mascot of the university. So very fearsome, very threatening, you know, very, very tough mascot when it comes to competing against other schools. I was like, this is not what I was expecting as an answer to that question. So <laughs> random. Oh my God. Camille, I hope you can one up Jack. So what was your mascot? <laughs> Hi, everyone. I am Camille Berlioz. I am a senior programmatic media trader on the App Feeder team. I've been at Baird for coming up on five years now. I went to the University of Vermont. I'm actually a first generation college graduate in my family. So it's a pretty big deal. When I graduated, I had a bunch of family fly in from France and watch me. Studied statistics there. Go Catamounts. What is a Catamount? What is that? Did you say catamount? Catamount. So it's like a mountain lion. That was our mascot because we're from the the mountains. Okay. That's better than a turtle. feel pretty good about my greyhound now. (laughs) Your mascot was a greyhound? Yeah. Where did you go to school, Zach? Loyola, Maryland. So Jack's little little turtles were our biggest rival. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, how did those games go, Zach, against those little turtles? The details are not important. (laughs) Well, mine was a roadrunner, which is pretty pathetic. So I'll take the worst mascot. I don't know. A turtle's pretty bad. So I'll take the number two worst spot for mascots. I wouldn't say that coyotes would say roadrunners are pretty bad. I think think coyotes would feel uh, differently about that one. So funny. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast today. For our listeners, Jack and Camille are huge parts of the agency. And for anyone involved in recruitment marketing, they know that programmatic is a huge part of the business and has been for a number of years. And really, Jack was paramount to building out our trading desk alongside Michael Halperin. And when Camille joined, she continued to bring a lot of innovations to the team. We thought it'd be really fun to have them on and talk about the changes they've seen in the industry and some of their background. So before we get into programmatic, I want to get into how you guys ended up as part of the Bayard family. Yeah, my story is actually pretty fun. Um, After I graduated from college, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. Um, Having a statistics degree, my options were pretty broad. I could maybe become an analyst or go into some sort of banking or whatever. And I actually was on LinkedIn and I was in the UVM alumni group. And there was a Bayard alumni in that group named Amanda Shannon. Shout out to Amanda. 
And she had me interview with her and Kyle at Ripple, which for those of you listening who don't know, Ripple was a company formulated with um, some old Bayard folks. And so we worked very closely to them while we were upping our programmatic practice. And so I interviewed there and them being a very small startup, they weren't quite ready to onboard a new person. And so Kyle graciously uh, recommended me to Michael and told me that Michael was the best boss ever and that I would be lucky to come work here. And um, I interviewed with Michael and the rest of the team. And here I am five years later. Jack, how did you find your way to Baird? Also pretty interesting. So I was living in Chicago after college and after living there for three months, I moved to New York to be with my now wife who I had met in college and she was from New York. I was from Chicago. So I moved to New York and I, I didn't have any interviews lined up. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just sort of was like, I'm going to get to New York and then figure it out. Um, so once I was here or once I was in New York, um, I started networking with you know people that I knew. Uh, I had a couple of sisters living in the city and networking with them and their friends. Um, eventually, I was introduced to Kathy, who used to work in our promotions department in New York, uh, who was a friend of a friend of a friend. And I interviewed to join Bayard's promotions team. And I went to the interview and I had absolutely no idea what promotions were. I thought promotions was just like another way to say advertising. So I'm in the interview and I'm talking myself up. I'm you know talking about how much I like advertising and I had done some social media, some Facebook ad work uh, prior to joining Bayard, just freelancing. So about 10 minutes into the interview, Peggy, who's our head of HR, who was interviewing me is like, do you know what promotions are? <laughs> and I told her, I was like, well, you know, it's promoting products. And she's like, no, she's like, yes, that's a definition of the word promotion, but that's not what we're talking about here. So, oh my God. <laughs> so she kind of, she started explaining it to me and I was like, oh, I can do that. You know, no problem. Like, you know, it's not. You know, so I tried to pivot and talk about how my experience in doing other things would relate to promotions. And eventually she was just like, okay, look, I like you, but this is not the role for you because you didn't even know what it was. Um, <laughs> so after that, she was like, I'll, I'll pass your resume around. You know, you went to Maryland, our CEO went to Maryland, you seem smart. So I'll pass this around to others and see if there's something else that would be a good fit. At the time, Kyle, who, who Camille had mentioned, was building out um, what would become the app feeder team. And I guess he liked my resume. So I came back in, interviewed with him. That interview went much better. And I was, uh, I was offered a job at Baird. And so I joined the programmatic team. That time, it was just me, Kyle, and Amanda. And yeah, the sort of the rest is history. I've, I've been here since day one of app feeder um, and I'm now leading the team. So it's a good run. It must have been pretty quickly after you had joined where AppFeeder kind of came to fruition. Yeah, I think my hire was what started it. Like previously, there was, I think, something called Bayard X, which was uh, the first early version of programmatic, which I think, Zach, you actually sort of worked on at the time. Yeah, I think I ran away screaming from Bayard X. <laughs> I, saw you, I saw you kind of smile when I said that. So I, yeah, I think with my hire, we that was like the first time that it had been formally identified as this separate thing. I think the name App Feeder probably came up maybe a month after I started. And that was sort of what we decided to call this service that we were going to start providing. Yeah, I was the first person who was fully dedicated to programmatic. Everybody else was sort of half in, half doing what they were doing prior. So that was really what started it. So you guys both came in for programmatic, kind of the early days of it. Why have you stayed so long? I know both of you, there's no way you would still be here if it wasn't changing. 
What's the thing that keeps you coming every day and evolving programmatic? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. I think, first of all, I think the nature of the work is, is kind of fun. I mean, it's, it's really just playing with numbers. It's, it's identifying trends. And, and so I think that just generally it feels good doing the work. I, I think we're, we're both good at what we do. I think everyone on our team is good at what we do and, and that feels good as well. But I think that also, you know, we both came in at a time where programmatic wasn't really a thing yet. It hadn't really been defined and. And so both of us have been really instrumental in figuring out what programmatic is, what its place in recruitment is, how it's going to work for our clients. And so I think that, you know, speaking for myself, I think being at the forefront of this and being part of the, the team and the group of thought leaders that is helping to define programmatic and change programmatic and improve programmatic every day is really appealing. And, and so that's why... I've stuck around and will continue to do so. I would definitely agree with everything that Jack just said. As programmatic media traders, we're super blessed in the fact that every day is different for us. We're always looking to better ourselves and, and the programmatic landscape is constantly changing and evolving. And so it's been really exciting to be at the forefront of those things and ask for different changes and have a say in the way that the software works and what we get to see and do every day. Yeah, I mean, I feel like programmatic has changed so much over the last five years. And Camille, for the listeners, she is really focused on our trucking division that really requires its own area of expertise. And Jack is really widespread across a number of other enterprise accounts in addition to leading the team. And so they both have these interesting perspectives on programmatic. What have the biggest innovations in programmatic been when you think about the last five years? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I, I think what may have actually changed more in programmatic is the way that it's that it's thought about. And it's it's less the tools and technology. Yes, those have gotten a lot better, but I think that in another sense, it's what's progressed more is the strategy around it, the implementation around it. Just as we've become more comfortable with it, as our clients have become more comfortable with it we're finding new uses all the time. So I think that the thought around it is really what has changed the most and just us realizing that we can use the tool we have to accomplish all these different things. And as we encounter new clients with new challenges, being able to apply the tools that we've had at our disposal for, for a couple of years now to solve challenges that we never thought we'd be encountered with. From a technical standpoint though, I think that being able to track to hire within a programmatic dashboard and being able to to do the the trading that we do based on down funnel data like hires or quality applications rather than just clicks and applications has definitely been the biggest technical leap that, that has occurred in my time doing it. I would also say that as we get through this pandemic and as we're coming out of this pandemic, the job seeker has completely changed. And so being able to be at the forefront of changing our own strategies and pivoting at a moment's notice and being able to be super flexible has been really exciting and has been driving a lot of our successes. When you think about programmatic, and obviously it's been such a game changer in the space, people tend to want to use it as the solution for everything. How many? How often do you come across situations where people try to apply it in the wrong context? And when is it not necessarily the best solution in your opinion? So I would say one thing that we've encountered that, that's been a bit of a challenge and where programmatic maybe isn't the best fit is for you know, like single job postings. I think a lot of times we work with clients who, who post jobs one at a time and they may you know, only have one role that needs to be filled at a time. And so you know, they're used to posting one job, two jobs, three jobs at a time. I think programmatic is, is better applied at a wider scale when we're looking at large groups of jobs. I mean, one of the, the benefits of programmatic is that we're capturing all of these 
job attributes in feeds, whether it be the location, the category, the is it part-time or is it full-time? Using these to build smarter and sophisticated campaigns is what programmatic is all about. Taking one single job and posting it is is I think can be accomplished just as easily and probably more efficiently by just continuing to post that. But you know, maybe diversifying a bit more. There are things you can do to improve postings, but I do think that, that programmatic is is better applied across larger strategies and at, at greater scale. I feel like the major skill set that you guys bring to the table, you're all super talented, but I feel like the thing that sets Bayer apart, and I'd love to hear your perspective, is that you guys are at all times problem solvers. You guys like the challenge, you're into taking on a difficult campaign, figuring it out, you know? I heard Camille say the other day when she was talking about it that she gamifies programmatic for herself, making a better campaign, getting an unsuccessful channel to work. Do you guys feel like you agree with that? And that's sort of a huge part of what you're doing? Because I think recruiting just gets more and more complex every year. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I I always feel hesitant telling clients that I like gamify this because it sounds too fun. But honestly, that's what I do. I love beating myself month over month, getting to be more efficient, making the same budget work to do more with less um, and always just refining our media practice and making sure that we're optimizing not only towards the best cost per apply, but now towards the best cost per hire and where this quality is coming from and thinking about quality over quantity and all that stuff. Do you guys compete with each other? If we did, I would win. <laughs> that was the next question. We probably would. We probably would. You know, we don't. Um, I, I think that we have a really strong team atmosphere. And I also think that we all take really complete and strong ownership of the accounts that we work on. So while there is, you know, some comparison and while we always communicate and bounce ideas off each other, and if I'm onboarding a new healthcare client and I haven't really managed many healthcare clients, like, there are people on our team who do. So I can reach out to them and say, what worked for you? And then maybe, yeah, I, I might want to do better than they did. But at the same time, it's kind of a hard thing to do because every client situation is different. There, and there's so many factors beyond just the, the publishers that we use and the bids that we set and the optimizations that we make that go into job performance. Things like client reputation, things like pay rates. It's very hard to compare you know, one campaign to another because there are just so many factors that go into it. Fine. We'll let you, we'll let you give the diplomatic answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> He's right, though. We can't really compete with one another because every account is so unique and so specialized. And so many things go into every account, like the company's reputations and like the locations where these jobs are sponsored. So really, the only goal is to is to beat your own performance and make sure that you're always competing against yourself more so than the team. Yeah. I want to know where you guys think it's going. Programmatic was a major innovation in our industry in the last five years, or was certainly the leading innovation and a huge part of how most companies find talent today. So where do you think it's going? Do you think it's going to be part of the future? Are there any upcoming trends or changes or pivots within that you foresee happening? I, I think there's, in my mind, there are sort of two things that, that I see happening in the future. And the first is sort of a, a small scale technical change that may not mean a lot to everybody listening. But right now, all of our programmatic is transacted via XML feeds to job boards. XML feed delivery time is is not instantaneous. It it takes some time for our campaigns to change. It takes some time for the changes that we make to, to actually go into production. So I think that, that moving to server-to-server -to -server distribution of job ads and of, of optimizations is something that 
is going to make those changes instantaneous. It's going to allow us to be quicker with our optimizations. And I think that that is sort of the near-term optimization that I'm most excited about. It's something that as an agency, we don't necessarily have control over, but we're, we're pushing our technology partners to, to move towards that because I do feel like that is the next step for programmatic and all of our clients would, would benefit from having quicker distribution. Long-term, I think that you know the way that programmatic and recruitment exists now is it's pretty solely uh, confined to the job board space. So when we work with, when we're doing programmatic, we're working with job boards and and there are a couple of channels outside of job boards that are in our network, but uh, for the most part, it, it's job boards. And so I think in the future, we could see social, uh, SEM, uh, display, video, all of these channels potentially could be considered under the same programmatic umbrella within the recruitment space. I know they are in the consumer space. I, we're just not quite there in the recruitment space. And I, I think that's sort of what, what could come next in two, three, four years down the line. I would also say something that I'm excited about, and it's already in production today, is we have been working really hard to create um, hosted apply integrations with a bunch of job boards. So allowing the candidate to apply directly on these job boards, much like an Indeed hosted ad, but having that lead funnel directly into your ATS, saving the recruiters time by not having to go through all of their different emails and having these candidates actually live where you want them to, which is your applicant tracking system. So that's been really exciting for me because I think it's gonna help increase our conversions and de decrease our cost per applies. Has anything over the last 16 months, obviously a lot of things have changed. Has anything kind of surprised you or pivoted in programmatic specifically over that time? That's that's a tough one. I, you know, I think I'm trying to think over the last 16 months. I mean, that's basically been pandemic and beyond. You know, I think for, for me, the biggest change maybe wasn't anything technical. It maybe wasn't anything philosophical. It was really the speed at which markets changed during the past 16 months was unlike anything we'd ever seen. When it came to, you know, last March, last April, when the world changed, you know, we've been doing this for a long time now. And so one thing that we keep track of is, is weekly trends, monthly trends. You know, what does March look like compared to January? What does April look like compared to October? And so by 2020, we had certain expectations of this is what March is going to look like. This is what April is going to look like. And so as we're building our campaigns, as we're managing them, those are things we're planning for. And then when the world changed, we were flying by for a little bit. We had to figure things out again. And so that was a huge challenge. And then in the coming 16 months, as lockdowns started and ended, you know, as unemployment benefits were added and, and removed, we saw markets change. Uh, in a much quicker and more unpredictable way than we ever had. And so that was definitely a challenge. It was a challenge for our clients. It was a challenge for us. Um, I think we did a really good job of overcoming it because at the end of the day, we are very data-driven. We're very focused on analyzing trends. And so while it did throw us for a loop, we just continued doing what we always do, which is doing what the data tells us. And I think that we weathered that storm uh, really well. And it seems like now we, we might be headed back for normalcy, but that experience that we got in the, the rapid fluctuation of markets over the past year and a half is, is invaluable. And I think it all made us better at, at doing our job and better at helping our clients. As someone who leads the team, Jack, do you think it's, um, is it primarily the people that helped kind of get through that and navigate it and the team's ability to kind of, I don't know how to put it, but adapt with the speed at which the markets were changing? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I can never say enough about how great our team is. I think that everybody on our team is is exceptional at what they do. And, you know, part of that dynamic was built when we were all in the office. We all sit two feet away from each other, as you've seen, Zach. So we all soak up so much from each other. And that was lost when we went remote. So we didn't have that anymore. And that is something that is going to affect everybody differently. But I, I would say that among our team, it didn't really seem to affect anybody uh, adversely in, in the sense of work. I think that everybody sort of realized, okay, I don't have as much of that support uh, from the group as I had before. And I need to sort of buckle down and, and, and get through this and do as good of a job for, for my clients as I can. And I think everybody did that. Daily Zoom team meetings helped for sure, but uh, it's not the same. And so I do think everybody on the team did an incredible job of, of getting through that, rolling with the punches, learning, reacting, um, and making sure that we were doing the best job for our clients that we could through that tough time. Yeah, you guys did a great job. Also, this year has been terrible, so I think we're all excited for it to end. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, this year was, we thought, you know, vaccines are coming out, things are going to be great, market's back to normal. And so we kind of had the same thing happen again this March and April, where we thought, oh, it's March again, let's look at March 2019, it'll be just like that, and it was not. And then April, well, March was March is an anomaly. April will be normal. It was not. So yeah, that definitely threw us for a loop as well. But again, everybody just sort of nose to the grindstone, uh, got it done and did an exceptional job of, of doing so. You guys are such a great team and do a really great job. I was thinking as you guys were talking about changes that are coming up in the next year or two, you know, there's all these privacy policy cookie changes that are going to be taking place. And I know that a large part of how programmatic functions is that it's based on cookies in terms of tagging and tracking. And so I'm just curious on what your thoughts are on that and the potential blows to what we do. That That's a great question. And, you know, as as a technology agnostic agency, we you know we don't have our own technology here. We're not the ones who who have compiled the pixels or who, who built the trading platform. So in that sense, we have to rely on our technology partners to continue to provide us with you know top level technology that will allow us to track as much as we possibly can. Um, I have had some discussions with our technology partners about this, and I, I know that they're doing everything they can to to accommodate that. I know that. For the most part, we moved to cookie list tracking uh, last year, actually. So in that respect, I think we're covered. But I, I do think that even in the past two years, as laws have started to change, we've always had very open, honest, upfront conversations with our technology partners. And while I, I don't, I'm, no, I'm no expert, I think that the, the trust is there with our partners. And, and we know that whatever these laws dictate, whatever changes occur, they're going to be providing us with the best solution that they possibly can in the circumstances. So I feel good about it. We may end up being limited and we may end up being able to track a bit less than we do now, if that's what the laws dictate. But I do know that whatever the laws dictate, we'll be, we'll do, be doing the maximum um, and we'll be getting as much out of our campaigns as we possibly can. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting time just outside of what you guys do anyway is like all of the conversations around privacy, tracking and advertising. And I feel like it's going to have major impacts that we don't yet quite know. But I'm wondering if in this case too, you know, recruitment, marketing and technology can tend to lag behind consumer practices. And so maybe this is a scenario in which our industry benefits from that lag. And we can watch what consumer does and make adjustments for when it potentially impacts us because it's only going to continue to become more conservative in terms of how we can tag and track and walk the fine line of privacy. Yeah, that's a great call out. You're, and you're right. We, I mean, I feel like we do definitely 
lag a couple of years behind consumer. And that can be a detriment in some cases. But I think in this case, that's a, an incredible call out is that there will be learnings from what happens with the consumer uh, advertising industry. Um, and I, again, I know that, that the technology partners that we work with will provide us with the best solutions that they can and probably take away a lot of learnings from, from what happens in consumer. Yeah. Um, one thing just to ask, I guess, for either Jack or Camille, as you pitch and present on programmatic to clients, and obviously five years ago, we, be we began the, the huge learning curve as an agency. What's that learning curve been like for clients in the way in which they understand how programmatic impacts their ability to recruit? And what is it like to walk through a presentation on programmatic? Is it something where as kind of new innovations and new things that you're implementing come out, is that a challenge in helping clients and prospects understand exactly how that drives impact for them? I would say that the main thing that we do when presenting programmatic to a new client or a prospect is that we kind of take a step back and think about what they probably typically do, which is post on Indeed. Um, Indeed is the major player in this space and everybody tends to utilize them. When we present programmatic, we really want people to think outside of the box and think really horizontally at all of the other options and all the other places where traffic can be found. And so we, we preach that basically utilizing programmatic allows you to find job seekers in real time and optimize your budget and still use the Indeeds of the world, but not necessarily post and prey on them. Everything we do is really ROI focused and performance based. And so we're able to optimize your campaigns and find people in places where you may not necessarily be looking, but they're still living and acting every day. For sure. Enough about you guys. I don't want to talk about programmatic anymore. You guys know who the boss of this podcast yeah. is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I want to know what your funniest, fondest, most memorable. I want to know some good memories of the last five or six years. And I think you guys bring a fun perspective because both of you go on so many pitches and client meetings and you spend so much time across the agency with so many people and clients. And I would just love to hear a couple of great memories that you guys have. Oh man. Um, so two come to mind immediately. The first was it, it had to have been if not my first pitch that I traveled for, my first three, it was within my first three. We went out to Salt Lake City, we were visiting a prospect out there. And, and this, this client had been doing a, a ton of everything. I mean, she had been sponsoring concerts, she had been doing radio ads, she'd been doing TV, billboards, online ads, you name it, like everything under the sun was being done, but it was all being handled um, independently. And so to start off the meeting, she walks into the room with a stack of papers about a foot high and says, this is all the invoices that we've received from our media in the past year. And this is what you need to help me clean up. And she kind of like slammed it on the table, you know, with a thud. And we were, you know, we started looking through them and it was, yeah, the local rock concert, uh, this billboard uh, on Highway 65, this billboard on Highway 55. Um, and so it was really, you know, just so much going on that was all separate and there was no real cohesive plan. The, I think the meeting was supposed to last maybe two hours. I think we ended up spending six hours uh, sitting at the same table with this client and just going through almost every single one of them, talking about programmatic, breaking it down step by step. I actually ended up setting up their programmatic account live in that meeting, which is the first and only time I've ever done that. But we had the time and we had the drive, so we did it. And you know, they ended up being a, a long-term great client. 
But that meeting, it just stuck with me. You know, she walked in. It was a very dramatic effect, just walking in, slamming these papers on the table, um, and then sitting there for six hours and figuring it all out. That was one. And then the other, a big shout out to uh, to Don Sabatino. I'm going to tell a little story uh, about Don here. We have a client uh, in Nashville, and uh, we had planned to take them out after our, our meeting to uh, this this magic lounge, which is this nice fancy restaurant where they also do table magic. And there's a theater in the back where you can go see a magic show after dinner. So we show up to the meeting, we're having the meeting. And at the end, Don just sort of stands up and goes, I know we're going to see magic tonight, but I've got a little show for you guys as well. And nobody knew this about Don, but Don used to do table magic at a restaurant when he was a teenager. Um, so we had this, this magic trick prepared and he was incredible. I mean, the, his whole demeanor, he was telling jokes. He had incredible patter. The trick itself was, was great and was hilarious, but uh, we all learned something new about Don that day. And I think that was, you know, that's something he's really good when it comes to building relationships with clients and, you know, he's big into business, but also a very fun guy. And I thought that was a really unique thing to do for the client. I think they really appreciated it too. How have I never heard that story? Okay, I'm dying. I have <laughs> never heard that either. You know, Jack, I'm so glad you told us that because uh, so we had a company-wide magic show. And as part of that, the magician had a Q&A at the end. And Don raised his virtual hand and said, as a student of magic myself, and then he went <laughs> on and asked the question. And I probably spent the next 25 minutes laughing alone in the living room at his response because I was <laughs> like, what the hell is he talking about as a student of magic? But now that you tell that story, it makes more sense. Yeah, no, he's he's quite good. I mean, don't let him sell himself short if you ask him about it, but he's he's quite good. I mean, we were really, it was it was very well done. Uh, he had the whole routine uh, nailed down. That's so funny. I can't believe I never heard that. I was crying laughing. <laughs> That's pretty good. Camille, any memorable ones for you? Gosh, I've been sitting here trying to think of something good to tell you guys. Well, so as somebody that lives in the transportation space most of the time, I've had a couple of interesting meetings because transportation doesn't do things like anybody else. I guess one of my most memorable meetings was somewhat like Jack. Um, it was one of my earliest trips. I hadn't really been on many, been in many meetings. And it was one of the first meetings where I was truly traveling alone. Um, and I was going to meet a client that we had just gotten. And I was meeting up with a couple of people from our Minneapolis office to attend this meeting. And we had just won the business, just launched their campaigns, and they were super new. And so we went over to their offices, which were beautiful, also something that doesn't happen often in the transportation industry. A lot of times we're walking into a trailer, but this time it was a massive company and we walked into these really beautiful offices into this back room where there was the owner of the company. And so often when we talk to new clients, we are speaking to their head of TA or head of HR. And so this was a bit of a new experience for me because we were with the actual one of the actual founders. And he was not afraid to make his voice heard. And basically, within 10 minutes of the meeting, fired his head of recruitment in front of all of us and asked us to come and visit his garage which was where he was spending the majority of his time because he didn't want to walk up the stairs in his home. And so he took us over to his massive mansion where there was a massive garage full of different cars and a bed. And he showed us all around and that was the meeting for the day. It was a pretty crazy experience. Oh my he God. He even asked Bill to spend the night. 
<laughs> Bill was like, I have a flight. I gotta go. That is very, very memorable. It was a crazy meeting. I haven't heard that one yet either. That's pretty funny. One question I do have, because I know, obviously, the, the three of us are in New York. Um, I live a little further outside of the city. But how has that experience been, just being in and around kind of New York City personally during COVID and working out of apartments and things like that? How has that been over the last 16 months? Um, yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's been interesting. You know, New York, among many other things, is famous for small living spaces. So living living in an apartment, it, it was tough for a few months. You know, we really didn't leave other than going to the store. You know, work had to continue as normal and we were, you know, busier than ever during that time. So it was really, it was different, you know, it's especially like I love exploring the city. I love getting out and about doing things and just didn't have the ability to do that for a long time. But, you know, big testament to my wife. Uh, she really kept me sane during uh, during COVID. We actually got married during COVID and, and we made it through. So I think that's a pretty good sign. I was going to say you still got married, so it must have been fine. <laughs> we still got married. We still got married and we're still together. So I think that's a good sign. And yeah, it was it was different. Very, very different. Hopefully we made it through and we'll go back to, to normalcy. For me, I would say that it was probably pretty similar to you, Zach, in the sense where I was lucky and my parents live close to the city. So I fleed the city like a true New Yorker and went into the suburbs. Um, so I spent most of my time there. Well, actually, that's not true. I was in the suburbs probably up until the end of May. And then I came back into the city and worked from my apartment. My I fit a desk into my tiny New York City apartment right by my front door. So every time my roommate came home and I was on a Zoom, everybody got to see him, which which was funny. But honestly, I'm just looking forward to everything going a bit back to normal and seeing everybody again. I've definitely missed being in the office and we are such a close team and we genuinely do love each other and love working with each other. So I'm really looking forward to all of us being back together again. Yeah, I think it was interesting. We all kind of had a taste of that in the sense that we all had an annual sales conference in Denver. And it was the first time a lot of us had seen each other in a couple of years. So. It was a little taste. I think we're all probably excited to get back to some kind of normalcy and see each other on a daily basis. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one question, which is normally we drink on this podcast, but we can't do it today because it's 11 a.m. and that's aggressive. But if we were to have been drinking, what is the drink you would have had? A dirty martini. With gin or vodka? Vodka. Shaken, not stirred. Oh, that's very James Bond of you. <laughs> yeah. Special agent. Jack? So I'm I'm with my family right now. I had uh, one of the worst mojitos of my life last night that my cousin made. Uh, so I would say a good mojito would be would be my choice. How is it bad? Can't really fuck up a mojito. Well, it was it was really bad. He just kind of like threw the mint in there. It was like seventy five percent club soda. He didn't squeeze the limes at all. It, it was like oh. it was gross. Jack, aren't you an incredibly skilled cocktail maker? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I did work as a bartender for a, a year and change, so I have some skills, but I wouldn't say incredibly. Jack makes the best avocado margs. An avocado margarita? Wow. I don't know that I've ever had an avocado marg. Yeah, they're Jack's specialty. Cucumber avocado. Yes, cucumber avocado, sorry. Yeah, it's really good. I would say- Wait, is it chunky? It feels chunky in my brain. <laughs> no, it's not. So if you strain it when you pour it so that uh, it's not chunky, 
it's like thick because the avocado gets sort of muddled in there, but I would not say chunky. The only thing is it's, it's quite a production to make. Like you have to have fresh avocado, fresh cucumber, margarita ingredients. But I did one day bring all of that stuff into the office for a, for a Friday happy hour and I made them for everybody. And I've had requests to do it again, but I, it was a lot of work. They're amazing. The next time I come into New York, that's what we're going to do. Okay. Done. That sounds good. That sounds like a, a good enough occasion to, to warrant the work. Yeah. Don't forget to make don't forget to make Andrea's chunky. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a sensory issue, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, I just think you guys are so great and you offer so much to clients and you're a huge part of the success of Bayard and our clients' happiness. I think your ability to problem solve and your aptitude across the team to figure something out, fix it, and get it done is second to none. And I just think you guys are great parts of the Bayard family. So Thanks for everything that you've done to help us get this far. And, you know, I'm excited to see what you guys continue to do as we move into Bayard 2.0 and beyond. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys for having us on. This is a lot of fun. You know, I always enjoy talking programmatic. Really always happy to evangelize and and get out there and, and chat about it. So, yeah, looking forward to the next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.